Hi, my name is Joel Knox. I'm the senior pastor at the Vineyard Church of Brenham in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad you're interested in our podcast. This media is completely free to you, so you can share it with anyone else, however you'd like. Our church is located at 1401 South Bluebell Road in Brenham at the corner of Tom Green Street next to the Bluebell Creamery and across from the Bluebell Aquatic Center. You can also find us on the web at vineyardbrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at Vineyard Brenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, that was the one scene that I could show you, uh, but... Uh, that's why we haven't seen it. Yeah, that's probably why you haven't seen it. Well, I'm continuing our series this morning in the book of Colossians. Fill her up, Jesus. That's kind of appropriate, you know, gas tank. And Well, if you've been following with us the, over the last month, you know that we're looking at this, this letter that Paul wrote to the church that was at Colossae. It's a, a Western Asian town that uh, actually was, was destroyed by an earthquake in the first century. And really the only record that we have of it is what we have in Scripture, this letter that Paul wrote to them. And I, I would like to, to think that, that Colossae was kind of like maybe Brenham or Belleville, you know, kind of a small town, rural area, you know. And so, and the church was started by Epaphras. He was a disciple of Timothy, who was Paul's disciple. And, and it's believed that Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison for preaching the gospel. And Timothy actually was visiting him, and Paul dictated what we read now in, in this, this book while Timothy wrote it down. And our premise throughout this series has been, when we live according to our desires, we'll run on empty. But Jesus fills us up to live the full kingdom life. Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And over the last several weeks, we've kind of been out of sequence a little bit. I don't know if you noticed, but three weeks ago, Vern spoke on the prodigal. And that was a follow-up, really, to, to the message that I, I, I preached. I could have been a contender. <laughs> Contending for the people that God puts in our lives. And I don't think that I could have gotten a better follow-up for that message in what Vern had to share with us that Sunday. And then the following week, Kathy Eason spoke, and her message was entitled Focus, which was about renewing our mind and our thought life with the help of the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to focus our attention on the things that He's trying to, to show us in this, this life that we're living for Jesus. And then last week I spoke from Colossians chapter 2 in a message called Freedom in Fullness, which is about experiencing freedom through our relationship with Christ. This week I'm picking up in the last half of Colossians chapter 3, and the title of my message is Where It, Where it Hits Home. 
Now, so far we've looked at what this new life is all about and what this good news is that we have to share. Jesus came to reconcile us to God. I think we can all agree on that. And part of His reconciliation was bringing the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of that kingdom, to bear on our lives in this fallen world. And Jesus explained what this kingdom looks like when He told His disciples, Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And Paul's letter to the Colossians so far has been talking about living a life that reflects that kingdom. And as Kathy so powerfully told us just a few weeks ago, we've got to train ourselves to focus on what God is doing. That's how we participate with Him. We've got to see what God's doing. And so this week, Paul is going to get a little personal. He's going to get down to where we live. And that's why I'm talking about this is where it hits home. Jesus fills us up to pour His life out on those who are closest to us. And as I said last week about freedom and fullness, fullness in Christ hits home when our private lives reflect the character of Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, then Jesus' the mother, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. And they couldn't get in to see him because of the crowd. And someone told Jesus, Hey Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to see you. And Jesus replied, My mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and obey it. Kind of threw them for a loop. And Jesus was saying that those who obey God's word are part of his family. His character in us identifies, it distinguishes, and it sets us apart as his. When we reflect that character, we look like Jesus. And that's what we're striving for. That's what we're living for. To reflect the character of Jesus and to give Him glory in every facet of our lives. So let's look at Colossians chapter 3. And we'll be in, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. That was a little loud. <laughs> and never treat them harshly. Now, I realize that's the S word for some people, that word submit. And for those of you ladies who may have an issue with that word, don't tune me out. The Greek word for submit, when it was used in a civilian non-military context, means a voluntary attitude of cooperation. Assuming the responsibility and carrying a burden. Paul urges women to recognize the chain of authority under God in a marriage relationship. Why is that? Because in God's chain of authority, 
Husbands are accountable before God for their wife and their family. Therefore, submission to Him is fitting to the Lord. Submission is made willingly without resentment to cooperate with the man's leadership as partners together. And part of a woman's submission to the husband is to allow him the opportunity to be the leader in the home. Consequently, the husband's primary responsibility is to love their wives. And that kind of love reflects Jesus' love for the church, which puts the bride's interests before his own. And in regard to authority, God does not give the husband the right to rule over his wife. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. But the responsibility is to be the leader in the home. Somebody's got to be the leader. And I heard a joke, I guess it was this morning, you know, about there were were all these these men who showed up to to heaven. And they were trying to get into heaven. And there was St. Peter. He says, okay, I'm going to divide you guys up between the ones who were the leader in the home. You wore the pants. And then the ones that, that, that your wife made you do whatever you, you did. He's like, okay. So they split them up. And there was, everybody was lined up in the, in the line for the, for the, <laughs> that their wives controlled their home, except for this one guy that was over there. And so he comes over to him and says, so you were the leader in your home. Well, actually, my wife told me to stand here. <laughs> We work together to have a loving partnership together as husband and wife. This was the design that God had for us under the rulership of Jesus in our homes. That we are partners together. And if a man truly loves and respects his wife, submission becomes an easier task. And that's why Paul says, do not be harsh. Fullness in marriage promotes partnership and eliminates abuse or emotional manipulation. Those are big words this early in the morning. And and I, I thought this was interesting this week. If you look at the prayer that Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, it can be applied to our marriages. And think about it as we read it here this morning in that context. I have given them, this is Jesus praying for us, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Kind of puts a a new reflection on that passage, doesn't it? And listen to the words of the prophet Malachi. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because He pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. Though she she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and in spirit, you are His. And what does He want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, the Lord says. 
To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of Heaven's army. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. You see, we men, we have a, a responsibility to be godly leaders in our homes. And our wives and our children are depending on us to be the men that God designed us to be. Now, it, that's probably enough for us. You're like, okay, that's pretty heavy. I think we could just stop there. But Paul continues. In verse 20, he says, Children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. I think it's really significant that Paul acknowledged children as members of the church in this letter by giving them instructions for how they should live now. Notice he wasn't saying, wait until you grow up. But children, obey your parents now. In the Middle Eastern culture, the attitude towards children gave them really very little value in, unless they could somehow provide for their family. So if, say for instance, that a child could go work in the field, then he was an asset to his father or mother. But, you know, whenever they're small, and, you know, of course, you can't really expect a two-year-old to go out and work in the fields like a, a 15- or 20-year-old child might, Right? Until they got to the age where they could, could, could contribute to the family, they had no value in the home. And that's why it ruffled a, some feathers whenever Jesus told His disciples to let the children come to Him. You remember that in, in Matthew chapter 18? And I think He was saying that, bring those children to me in front of the adults. I want the children to come first. And so Paul acknowledged the children and instructs them to submit and obey their parents. Why is that? Because it pleases the Lord, Paul says. It reflects well on those who are part of this kingdom. Obedience is a part of the natural flow of God's authority that requires children to submit to their parents as unto the Lord. Now, I'm a Bob Dylan fan. And one of the, the first songs that I actually learned of his was the one that, that had the line, you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Well, this, the, the respect for, for earthly authority begins in the home. And it's learned by obedience to parents. You may have seen the, there was an article several months ago, and I, I, I've, I've saved it several times, but then... You know, go back and try to find it, and you can't. But this coach was saying that, that, that uncoachable children become unruly adults. And they become bad employees. They become people who, who really don't contribute to society because they never learned the basic discipline of obedience whenever they were at home. But just as, as Paul is firing on all cylinders, because, man, we can point our fingers at our kids. You need to obey. You need to get in line. He's firing on all cylinders, and he's putting the kids in their proper place, and then he turns the flashlight right back around on the parents. 
And he says, do not aggravate or frustrate your children. Or they'll become discouraged. In other words, their spirits will be crushed or demoralized. Now, traditionally, discipline has been considered to be the responsibility of the father. How many of you grew up in a home like that? I remember as a little kid, just wait till your daddy gets home. And I was terrified of that. Well, and, and of course, yeah, mom usually took care of business herself. And, and it's true that mothers fill that role. They do fill that role. The, the, the responsibility of discipline falls in a two-parent home on both parents. And in the course of raising children, there has always been and there will always be resistance to authority. It's just natural. You know, the, the kids get to that certain age and they start testing the limits. And sometimes it starts really early. Maybe you had one of those. That, you know, from the time that they could walk or even before, they, they had the, a mind of their own. As parents, it's necessary for us to provide discipline in the right spirit for correction, not for punishment. Because punishment is a completely different thing altogether. Punishment demeans a person. And it can actually break a person's spirit if it just continues for no reason at all, or even for, for mistakes that might be made. And in regard to correction, to do it with, without criticism and finding fault. Because the purpose is to correct, correct right? We, we want them to do the right thing. And we want to show them and give them instruction so that they can do the right thing the next time. And additionally, obedience must cover or must never be made as a condition of parental love. Never. That, that I, I just can't love you because of what you've done. You know, it's, it, how harsh is that for our children to, to, to hear words like that come out of our mouths? Fullness in parenting demonstrates unconditional love that encourages obedience and prevents rebellion. In Matthew chapter 18, I love this passage. About that time, Jesus, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him, and he put the child among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on, on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large mill, millstone tied around your neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Wow. Wow. That's how Jesus feels about kids. And He wants us to have a childlike spirit. I'd like to finish out chapter 3 today, and I want to look at Paul's instructions to slaves and masters. 
verse 22, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time. Not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear for the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Now in the first century, slavery was an institution. And there was a time in this country that slavery was was an institution, but it wasn't quite like it was in the old world. More than half of the people on the streets of major cities in the Roman Empire were slaves. Slaves were not just menial laborers. They were also teachers, physicians, craftsmen, skilled laborers who carved out a living by serving their masters. If they got in a place where they were, they were in a bind and they, they went to their masters and they asked them for, for payment, well, you can work that off as a slave working for me. And then once your debt is complete, then you'll have your freedom. Well, under that system, slaves had no rights. They had no possessions. And they were considered to be property that existed for the convenience and pleasure of their owners. Now, I thank God that none of us in here can, can say that we, were, we are slaves. But if you, if you work a 9 to 5, 8 to 4, 10 to 6, if you're punching the clock, it feels like you're a slave. Am I right? Well, regardless of our station in life, regardless of where we are, there is dignity in a, on an honest day's work. Can you say Amen. Those who belong to Christ serve their masters or their employers, their supervisors, those who are over them. They, according to Paul, they serve them as unto the Lord. The work that they do is unto the Lord. Paul says they need to work willingly as though you are working directly for the Lord rather than for people. And when we work, God receives glory whenever we put our heart and our mind and our soul into whatever it is that we do with our hands, whatever we do with our lives. And and the way that Paul's saying, it becomes an act of worship. How many of you ever thought that it could be worship? You're sitting there pounding the keyboard on your job. Or it could be worship whenever you're out, and you're, if you're a del- someone who delivers things, that you, do, you, you pay attention to those instructions, and you make sure that whatever it is that you're delivering gets there intact. Instead of like, 
Ace Ventura, you know, delivering the, the box that he kicked all the way up to the door. You you're actually take pride in, in, in whatever it is that you do. And in regard to worship, God instructed the Israelites in the Old Testament whenever they offered up a goat or a sheep to make sure that that thing didn't have a, you know, eye was messed up or maybe it had a, had a leg that was kind of gimpy, you know. Because, you know, it, it, you tend to hold those things back because, you know, that, that's not really the best in your flock. And God told the Israelites, don't offer up one of those, those gimpy little sheep. Don't offer up one of those that's got a, got a messed up eye. Offer the best of your flock because this is an offering to me. And I'm worthy of everything that you have to give me. We need to make sure that our work isn't half-hearted and tainted by a lack of effort. I realize, you know, sometimes it gets, it gets old. And it, maybe if you're looking for another job and, you know, it's hard to, to really put your heart into something that's like, man, I, 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 I was tired of this years ago. We don't work for our employers. Yeah, we get a paycheck. But what we do, we do for the Lord. And so if there's anything worth doing, it's, it's worth being done right. Right? Well, if there's anything that we're doing for the Lord, then it's worth doing with all of us. All of our heart. All of our soul. All of our mind. And that becomes worship. We give it our best and we offer it back up to God. And just as Paul didn't let parents off the hook, he doesn't let our earthly masters, supervisors, and bosses off the hook either. He says that masters must be just and fair. Don't be the kind of boss who takes advantage of those who answer to you. Instead, be the one who cares and does what's in the best interest of your employees. Because fullness at work means serving faithfully and leading ethically. In Mark chapter 9, it says, He sat down, talking about Jesus, and He called the twelve disciples over to Him, and He said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. He was telling that to the disciples. And that's his word to us too. Are we willing to, to make ourselves last and put others first? That's what he did for us. And he wants, it to, wants us to do it for each other. And this is what the life of Jesus was all about. Serving others. And if we look at Romans chapter 12, I'm, I'm going to read this and then, then I'm going to close. Romans chapter 12, and this is from the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. So don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. 
And unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best and develops well-informed maturity in you. Can we stand together this morning? I'm so glad you're here, and I, I've, I'm, I just love this, this, this book so much, and I, I hope I'm not just, just boring you to death with, with the stuff that I'm so excited about. But I want us to be encouraged today. Because we all, we, we all lead different lives and we all have, have different things that, we, that we're responsible for. We have, we have responsibilities that, that, you know, they vary from person to person. And, and if you're here this morning and, and, you, and maybe you're feeling the weight of, of some of those responsibilities and you would like, like prayer, we just want to take some time this morning and and just give you an opportunity to respond if you if you need prayer for anything i know we had ministry during our our communion time maybe you need some more prayer we want to make make space for that and so so here's here's what i'm going to do i'm going to i'm just going to say a, a general prayer of dismissal but if you if you have business that you'd like to to do with god then hang around we want to take some time to, to pray. And, and if, if you need prayer, don't leave here without, without getting something. And, and maybe you're uncomfortable with coming to the front. You might want to just grab someone next to you and just ask, hey, would you, would you be willing to go with me or would you be willing to, to pray with me? Whatever the case, we just don't, I don't want to be too quick to, to, to let you go and, and, and miss out on what God might want to do with you here this morning. So, Lord, I give you thanks. I give you praise. I give you glory for all that you are. And I give you glory for what you want us to be. Because when we become what you want us to be, we give you glory. And I ask, Lord, as we go today, that your presence would be on us and that we would experience you in the days and the weeks ahead, God. Holy Spirit, come and rest on us. Move in us. Shape us into the people that you want us to be. And as we go today, Lord, let your hand be on us. Let your face shine on us. And may you give us peace in all our ways. We give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.